Okay. All righty. Well, good morning. I guess I should scoot over just a little bit. We have, we are less than 12, you guys. Can you believe it? We're actually at the end of part two of Revelation. Uh, we have completed, believe it or not, an overview. <laughs> That's the biggest overview, probably of all the precept courses that we do, the Revelation overview being 12 weeks long in this part two segment. That is the biggest overview you're probably ever going to experience. Um, but I kind of like to hear from you. What, what have you found in this time of 12 weeks? Has this been really effective to help you start to really get your bearings down on things? What, ha what has surprised you the most about the things that you've looked at? Or what has become much more clear to you in these last 12 weeks just, have a, just knowing that there's parentheses in there, oh yeah just knowing that is like super yeah those parentheses those segment divisions and yeah. the parentheses being one of those to me is yeah yeah in the in the spirit yeah it you know, I was looking, I was doing a little bit of a review that I want to walk us through. And that was part of the review is just reminding ourselves about all these segments, because um, I do think that one of the stumbling stones, maybe I could call it for people who try to go in and get understanding in Revelation is they don't spend the time that we have spent and they don't look for the literary uh anchors, those things which give you real clarity that once you see them and identify them, they're locked. And all of a sudden your brain goes, ah, now it makes sense, right? So yeah, those segment divisions have been huge. Hey, happy to have you this morning. Uh, no, it's okay. You're excused. <laughs> so what else? Any other thoughts on what we've looked at? <gasps> don't confess that out loud <laughs> it's on tape now <laughs> right right well i would encourage you if you did if you did have weeks where you were so busy and other things in life got in the way you've got several weeks off now what is it four weeks are we off four weeks Kristen, or five maybe Till the 10th of January. So you've got a lot, a lot of time. Go back and. Yeah. Wow. Listen, guys, we're going to be off for six weeks. That's a lot. That's a long break. Yes. Those. Yeah. The, the. I have said for years, every time I've ever taught Revelation, and I've done this many times now, um, almost always my students grumble the most during the weeks that we do the drawing. And then after we're done, that's usually the one area that everyone says actually was the most valuable to them because it helped them to, first of all, visualize it so they can see sequentially as you're moving through chapter by chapter, 
and we, when you drop in and you start uh, reading it again, th that picture just flash that you drew just flashes in your head because uh, one of those things that teachers know is the kinetics of visualizing, right, Kathy? Kathy's a good teacher, right? So when you when you draw a, a picture of something, that's and I do this a lot, as you guys know, no matter what we're in, if it's an opportunity like Luke. Um, 19, where you're in the bosom of Abraham or the place called Hades, right? Death and Hades. And you draw that out. You never forget it. It just, it, it's there forever. So yeah, those pictures that you get in your head are so helpful. And if you didn't do a drawing on the last uh, chapter, yeah, you should definitely go back. Um, how many of you got your pictures handy? from this chapter from this week yeah so so you know if you look at your your drawings and it, and they don't have to be great drawings they just have to be something that will help you to remember what it is that you are looking at right and i remember many years ago um with my young uh was a, a class i went to a retreat with um uh I can't remember the name, Campus Crusade is what it was called. And we, uh, it actually was called the Hospitality House. It later became Cadence International. But I went there as a teacher for first through sixth grade kids who were coming along with the parents on this retreat. And so I taught this little group of, I don't know, maybe 12 kids of first through sixth graders. And one of the things we did was this, and this was before I knew anything about any of this. I mean, I, I, it was just something that came to my mind. I thought, what would kids enjoy? How can I get them into it? Um, I had decided that one of the things I wanted them to do was to have a little competition about sharing the gospel. And we made those little wordless books back when those were real big and popular, right? I'm really dating myself. But um, so I first I we did this and we did this wordless book and then they had this little competition and it was really fun. The, the kids were running through the halls, sharing the gospel with all the adults, of course, that were there. But the adults thought it was so cool because they were like, oh, my gosh, my child knows the whole gospel presentation using that wordless book. You know, we made it super simple. But this is what we did. And what I did was I actually got a square cardboard box. I brought in paints and glitters and glue and crayons and markers and uh, pa uh, construction paper and scissors, you know, and we went through just like we're going to do this morning in a, a oral presentation and, a, and in list making. We did this together in, in our class and we did a list on the board together who will be in heaven and who won't be in heaven. I mean, it was awesome. This is the, one of the best places if you want to introduce young children to the gospel and understanding the glory that's to come and for those who who are going to go to heaven what they have to look forward to and why that's so exciting this is a great way to do that yeah i know where was our glitter i know true so sad pardon well the, uh this one this one you can't have but I will make you some. I think I made you a complete packet. You already have this. You have this. You already have it. I gave you a whole packet of all the drawings. So there's a folder I gave you. And in there, all these drawings are there for you. So you've got them. And I would challenge you to go back in, read 
your Bible and draw your own pictures. Yes. Yeah, this one is a great one to start with, right? So we're going to be doing this one today. Um, any other insights about what you've learned through doing the overview time? We've had segment divisions that have been really important and pivotal. Um, what about, how do you feel now about your ability to identify things within the text? Do you have a pretty good idea of sequence of events and what comes in what order? Are you, are you feeling a little bit better? I think that the going this slow, there's a lot of, you know, logic to all the left brainers that, okay, these things we can already put pretty- In pretty much in so an order. Right. That is a very good point. Did y'all hear what Krista said? Because some of the things that we are going to be looking at are a little vague, right? They're not, they're not crystallized for us. For instance, like what we talked about in the spirit where it's detail, big picture, detail, big picture. Well, sometimes when they went into those detail segments, certain events are not detailed for us, like those first few seals that are broken. We don't get a lot of detail information on what is that white horse and the black horse and the red horse, right? We don't get that. But Babylon, we got a lot of detail on, right? So it's almost like God emphasized the areas he wants you to have emphasis on. Gee, Think, just imagine God had that in mind. But so, but what that tells us is what then about the things that God didn't give us a great deal of detail on? It's not going to be significantly important for us to, in order to us, for us to grab hold of understanding of what we're looking at. To understand the book of Revelation, the, the big picture of it is we, we want to know what is God's plan for bringing this all to a, a culmination of restoring Israel back to the land like he's promised, fulfilling the prophecies. And when we move into part three, we're going to start doing all those cross-references. And I have a few I want to start with this morning uh, just to whet your appetite. And I want to show you by demonstration how much you actually can now identify just by what knowledge you've gained, okay? So uh -huh. It's almost like the Jews that knew all of Daniel, and then when that was happening, they already they already got they it. Already knew. Like, yeah. Oh, this is that. Yeah. We're in it. Yeah. This is what we're doing. And honestly, this is true for us. I mean, think of you know a hundred years ago or more. And they were talking about Israel being back on their land and God, the Ezekiel 36 and 37 passages where he's going to put flesh back on the bones, the dry dead bones, right? Them bones and bones and dry bones. You can't help but sing it, right? So when, when God made those um, statements in the scripture a hundred years back, people were like, how is that ever going to happen? It just can't be literal. It has to be the church is in there somewhere or something is substituted for the church because Israel was no more, right? And now all of a sudden it is. So the more that gets fulfilled, the closer we get to it, the more we are able to now identify things. This is one of the reasons that I feel like the church is absolutely raptured out before any of these things happen. This is just my opinion. And if you have a different one, it's fine. But 
I believe we are raptured out because God says we will not know the day nor the hour. But for those of us who have studied Daniel now, right, and Daniel says there's going to be a one week period of time, we've already come to an understanding that one week means seven years. And we know that in the, that this, this Antichrist who's going to come on the scene is going to um, establish a covenant with Israel so that Israel can go back to the temple and begin to sacrifice again, right? And we know that for a period of time, that first three and a half years, she's allowed to do that. But in the middle of the week, he is going to stop that. And then all heck is going to break loose, right? So for you and I, as believers, if we see a seven-year covenant made for Israel to go back on the land, do you think we know the day and the hour almost? I mean, we could practically map it out for you. So I feel like because Jesus says you won't know it, it's going to be a, it's going to be something that is going to happen after the church is taken up. That's just one of my multitude of reasons why I think we're out of here, out of here. It's going to be interesting. Well, it's going to, and the, there are there are prophecies that say that they will make excuse for it. They will come up with some kind. And it says, and God says they will be, that those who are refused, that those that refuse the love of the truth, that their minds will be given over to a delusion, that they will believe the things that are not true. So um, if you think about just what's happened in our world here since COVID came on the scene and how much our government has been able to delude people about things and people are buying into all the lies that they've been spewing, how easy that was, how easy, why fear? When they throw fear out there, it's easy for people to just fall in line. It's gonna be the same way. And scripture's got verse after verse after verse of things you know, that are like that. So that scenario happening in our lifetime gave us an example of why when these things happen that we're studying here, it's going to be very easy for the Antichrist and that and that um, coalition of kings that are going to come together to get the world to, to get on board. And it's going to be no problem. And especially if the church is gone, because the church isn't going to be there saying, ah, no, right? The restrainer is going to be removed. And so there'll be no restraining work of, of the church. The Holy Spirit is still here, obviously. And he's still active and at work because people are going to come into faith. We've come to learn that now. Isn't that exciting? That during those seven years, there's still going to be a reaping of a harvest of, of people who will come to faith. But the church won't be here anymore as that protection and as that uh, shelter place to go and hide and get security from. So, okay. I want to start with one chapter just for fun. Okay. Let's go to Isaiah 65. I, how many times have I said to this group, I really don't ever want to teach Isaiah, you know, because it's really complicated. If you do not know the word of God, Isaiah is one of those books that can make you scratch your head a, a lot. So who in here is in the middle of an Isaiah study right now? Anybody? Okay. I, I, who? Nobody? Okay. I, I think in my evening group, there's one gal that's uh, in her church. They're doing Isaiah right now. And she was real excited about the Isaiah passages because of all the cool stuff that she's learning there. Okay. Go to Isaiah 65. I want to start in verse 17. 
and we're just going to do 17 to 25. And I want you to notice, does your Bible have a title for that segment there? What does it say? New heavens and a new earth. Now, when you look at our timeline, when is where on there is the new heavens and the new earth? Way at the end, okay? Because before we get there, we're going to have uh, we're going to have a time where there's going to be seven seals, right? Then there's going to be seven what? Trumpets. And then there's going to be seven what? Bowls. All right. And then at the end of that, what's going to happen? There's going to be a thousand year reign. This is Jesus reigning from the, the, the millennial reign. Okay. And then what happens at the end of the thousand years? This is, yeah, there's a quick little war. What happens? Satan is released. And then and fire comes out from heaven and it's like a nano. So there's a war. And then so so Satan gets judged. And then what comes on the scene right after that? A great white throne judgment. And what happens to the earth? The earth is destroyed. It says it's, it, it flees away. So we've got the earth. This is my earth. It's a mess, but it, it'll work. And it says the earth goes away and we get a new one, right? I, I'm going to make it look like our old earth, even though there's no sea. There's going to be some distinctive differences. But for us visually, this is what we know of it. It's a new heaven and a new earth. This one having been destroyed, right? Um, and at the same time is a great white throne judgment, right? Who's judged at the great throne judgment? Unbelievers. Unbelievers. So men, right? Unbelievers are judged. Okay. Um, and then what happens once they're judged? They go into this lake of fire. So here's my lake of fire. Okay, and they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. They're not going to be happy, right? This is the lake of fire. So let's put them here. Lake of fire. Boy, that's messy. It's, it's at a strange angle for me to write. Sorry. Is that readable? Yeah, you guys know. Because you guys have got this all figured out. Okay, right. So lake of fire. And so... When, when, as far as the lake of fire is concerned, we know the unbelievers go there after the judgment, right? <clears throat> Who's already there though? And when do they get there? The beast, where, and where do they come in? Right here, right? When Jesus returns, right? And us with him on our white horses and his white horse, right? And this is the bride. Or it's also called what? The army, right? The army, the bride. That was in chapter 19, right? Of Revelation. Jesus returns in the seventh fall and we get what war here? That's right. Har 
Armageddon, and you see that in Revelation 16, correct? And so at this point, then it says the beast, at the end of it, beast and false prophet, they are cast into the lake of fire. So can you see that for a thousand years, these two are in the lake of fire before the unsaved believers go there. Where are the unsaved believers then during this time? Where are they now? Yes, they're in Sheol. And where is Sheol? It's in the belly of the earth, isn't it? Right? We learned all that from that Luke 16. So the belly of the earth, here is Sheol. And this is where they are. And they come out of Sheol for this judgment or, and, and appear before God in his throne. So before then, over here, let's just, I'm just going to do it this way. There's that chasm right? And this is the, the place of torment. And that's out of Luke, uh, is it 19, right? Yeah. 17, 16, 17. 16. Okay. Okay. Luke 16. Okay. That's the bosom of Abraham where Jesus talks about what is, you know, where are people and talks about the rich man and Lazarus who was very poor and very hungry and had sores and, and he didn't even toss him crumbs hardly. Right. And so here we see then Harmageddon occurs, the beast and the false prophet go into the lake of fire, but the, I'm going to draw this line so that it doesn't go there. There you go. And right now, this part though, is what, what who's here? in this bosom of Abraham. It's empty. Why is it empty? That's right. Jesus descended three days and three nights in the belly of the earth at his crucifixion, right? He spent three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And then he, oops, sorry. And then he, and then he, uh, uh, when he, uh, resurrected on the third day, he presented himself alive over a period of how long? 40 days, right? And then he ascended to the father and he told his believers, wait for what the father shall send, right? In Hebrews chapter or in um, Ephesians chapter four, verse eight, it says that when he ascended at the end of those 40 days, when he ascended, he took with him a host of captives and set them free. That's when Jesus, at the end of those 40 days, took these believers here with him. So he had his resurrection. And when he resurrected, he took these with him who were in the bosom of Abraham. Right? Okay, so that's our basics. Look how much you guys already know. That is just pretty amazing, isn't it? Now, again, if you don't have this part figured out really well, and by the way, this area right here in totality is called Hades, right? It's also sometimes called Sheol. It has a variety of names, but Hades and Sheol. So when that one verse in chapter 19 says, and, and death and Hades were cast into the fire, 
Remember that when it's talking about the great white throne judgment? It says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. So what was thrown into the lake of fire? How does Sheol get into the lake of fire? With the earth, when the earth is, is put in here. And that's where you can go back and read um, 2 Peter 3, where it talks about the elements will melt with intense heat and, right, and it just fades away. It's gone. And so we've got two references in our revelation that talks about the earth fleeing from the presence of God and, that it, and then that it is gone. Heaven and earth. I saw a new heaven and an earth in 21 for the first heaven and earth uh, have passed away and there is no longer any sea. So that's basically what we have learned just by the things that we have done in our overview. Now we've got a gazillion pieces of information that we're going to start dropping in here as we do our cross-referencing in part two and three. But we're going to do things like what I'm going to do with you right now in Isaiah. We are going to be dropping in to passages all over scripture, and it can be complicated. You're going to have to keep your thinking hat on at all times, and you're going to have to remember your basic things that you already know so that you can pick out of what's being said in some of these places and make sure you're interpreting them correctly. Just like in Revelation, we have to remember our parentheses, our in the spirit moments, and these different divisions. When you go into cross-referencing, you have to remember your timeline. Okay, watch what happens with Isaiah. New heaven and a new earth, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people, and they will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. Where are we when there's no more tears, no more crying, no more mourning? We're in the new heaven and the new earth. So let's, whoops, I lost my, I lost my cord here. Hold on, gotta hook up again. Okay, so we are going to get a new heaven, a new earth right here no more tears right no more it's all going to be happy 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 okay so that's where we are at this point but now listen to what happens no longer will there be an infant uh in it who lives but a few days for an old man who does not live out his days for the youth will die at the age of 100 and one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. They will build houses and inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build another inhabitant. They will not plant and another eat it. For as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people and my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands. Now tell me, what do you see in there? Where are we on a timeline? Are we in the new heaven and the new earth? where babies are gonna die, even if at 100 and they're yet a youth? No. So what just happened? What, what did Isaiah do? We, they titled it New Heavens and New Earth, but then what happened? Well, he, well, he, start, he says no longer will there be. Yeah. He's still kind of there, he's just explaining what's not going to happen there as opposed to what is going to happen there. 
but then he goes on in 20, they will build houses and inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Yeah, they will not build another inhabitant, will not plant. Let's keep going. They will not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will graze together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil or harm in my holy mountain, says the Lord. Okay, so what I, what I wanted you to see here is Isaiah, can, he can move at, as he's conversing with us about things like the new heaven, the new earth. He's literally is describing things that are going to happen on the earth, even in the millennial reign, where the ox will lay down with the, with the, the lamb will lay down with the lion and the uh, talks about the youth will die at an age of 100 and those who do not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. So he switches as, as you're reading, he makes jumps from the new heaven and the new earth to the millennial reign. And then, and so you have to be paying attention when you go into these cross references. That was my only point for reading what I just read for you, because I want you to understand that sometimes Isaiah is really tricky like that. He will, sometimes he'll be all the way back here at Jesus's first coming. He'll move forward to his second coming and then he'll jump all the way to the new heaven and earth and then he'll come back. And you have to know when you're reading Isaiah where those things go on the timeline. And sometimes Ezekiel, Isaiah, they all do it. Jeremiah, they'll jump back in history even to the present day of that prophet and talk about things that were happening in their kingdom at the, at the time of the writing, right? So again, I, I point that out to say to you what we have done in this prep work, these, these large uh, period of time of, of uh, overview. This has prepared you in your mind to have a timeline in your head. And if you don't have it well enough established yet, do one of these for yourself at home and make sure you put on that timeline everything that will help you to lock things in the proper place. We're going to be jumping back into Daniel and other places very quickly when we move into part two. And when we do, we're going to need to be able to look at these things and, and identify where they go on a timeline and who they might be speaking of, right? Um, the other thing that I hope was accomplished in our overview time is your ability to identify characters. Like, for instance, in that segment division of the three signs in chapter 12, 1, all the way through 15, 4, where... We had lots of people introduced to us. Who all was introduced there? Uh, I'm talking about the three signs. Okay, the woman who is Israel and her son is Jesus. The other one that was identified is the dragon. And who does he have as his companion? Well, yeah, he's going to use them, but he has his fallen angels the other angels who who went who fell with him right hold on sorry my nose is the thing again every time i come in this building okay um all right so being able to identify characters 
by their characteristics is another quality of work that we have hopefully been able to accomplish in the overview time. If not, I recommend strongly go back and out of Revelation, pick out certain characters and make a thorough list on them. Make a thorough list on Satan from chapter one all the way to chapter 22 and make a full list of all the qualifiers of who he is, what he's like and how he, how he influences the world, right? Do the same thing with that uh, beast and the uh, another beast, which is basically it's the antichrist and the false prophet, right? And go through the rest of your book in Revelation and, and clearly identify those because when we go into cross-references in the Old Testament, you're going to be able to identify, am I speaking about Satan here or is this the Antichrist? And they look so much alike sometimes, right? Um, another point to, I want to bring up about kind of what we've dabbled in and we've danced around a little bit here. Hopefully when we get into part two, we're going to go back and really hammer it down solidly for you. But is the distinction between the beast and the kingdom of the beast. Sometimes it says the beast, but it's speaking of the kingdom. Sometimes it says the beast and it's speaking of the antichrist. And that's something that you need to be able to fluidly move back and forth between in your mind so that you can see an application for both if both are applicable, or you can clearly say, oh no, this is speaking of the antichrist. For instance, when uh, the beast is thrown into the lake of fire, who is it that goes into the lake of fire? The man, not the, not the kingdom probably, right? Although we're hoping that kingdom gets totally destroyed. But, and the false prophet is also a man, right? So who goes into the lake of fire always is men, right? The only one that um, is a, an anomaly in that is that the earth, the, this, this present earth that we're living in, this old earth, will go into the lake of fire also to be consumed, right? We see that in uh, chapter 20, verse 14, right? Um, why do you think that is? Why does the earth get burned up in the lake of fire? What, what is the message in that? Yeah, it's cursed. It's, it's fallen, it's corruptible. And as a matter of fact, when they speak of it, they don't call it the earth. They call it death and Hades. And these are consumed in the lake of fire by God. And second Peter gives us a, a real vivid explanation about that. But what God is doing is destroying everything that's corruptible. So that that which is not corruptible will stand, right? Very cool. All right. So that was Isaiah. There were a couple other verses. I'm just going to throw them out and you can go look at them. But Isaiah 51, 6, Hosea 2, 18. These are great verses that also tie into some of the things that we looked at. And I would say go back and read Ezekiel 39 on the whole. That's a really good passage just to be familiar with and it's going to come up for us on a regular basis okay so for review we've done a timeline we've talked about placements of things we've talked about the things that we've learned thus far right um we know our basic outline of the book the one that god gave us in chapter one what are the three uh divisions for this book yeah 
Right. Okay. Right. He says to him, right. What you, what he saw, what John saw, and he saw in chapter one, Jesus, he saw a vision of Jesus and all that he is. And then in chapters two and three, he says, and, and write about the things which are. And at that time in history, even to this present day, the things which are is the church, right? And then the things which will take place after these things, meaning after the churches, after these things, this is another segment division. And that starts in chapter four and goes all the way to 22. Very big segment division. But it's very interesting to me that God literally gave a distinguishing marker between those three parts of this book, literary form. Why do you think he did that? How does that breakdown help us or what does it convey to us? Right. We are, we're not yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I have always looked at the book of Revelation on the whole, starting in chapter four on. Do you see the church mentioned? Do you see a provision for us? Do you see a protection for us? You know, I, I, I think you said that Gary Hamlet uh, video, and I love what, what he said about John being a picture of the church there at the end of chapter three, and then he's told. That he was raptured up, come up here. Yeah, yeah. He did make that analogy. Now, of course, that's a personal feeling about it. It isn't a literal one, but it was a good one. And I do think when he said that, and the church age, and he said, then now come up here, and he's ushered into the presence of God. And in that in that place of of the throne room, what was the conveyed message there in chapters four and five? What was four about? The lambs pants that represent the seven churches. Mm -hmm. Those were on the earth. Yes. Previously. That's true. And afterwards, they're in heaven. In the throne room. Um, not really. No, it's a it's imagery is there, but it's a different imagery because what do we learn is the seven lampstands and it's the Holy Spirit. It's a depiction of the Holy Spirit there, right? Yeah, but you're, I understand where you, where you came to on that. What, so we see in the chapter four, what, what is the real, it's, it's, it's all, it closes with worship, right? There you go. It establishes that God sits on his throne. He reigns as, as God almighty in the throne room of God in heaven. And it, because he sits on his throne and what, what was the picture there of everything that was around him? What was going on? Worship. Everything is worshiping God in that throne room. And so this is just a beautiful picture of both the reverence of God, the, the authority and the power of God, right? And the sovereignty that he sits there in, in a seat of governing, right? So that when you look at the things that are happening in the world on the earth that follow it, there's all these things where it's um, uh, 
I'm sorry, I got distracted for five seconds. There it goes, poor girl. I have that happen to me all the time. It's like, go away. If it's in church, it's really bad, poor pastor. Um, but God, God sits on his throne. The things that are happening on the earth are not an accident. Everything that you see that follows, you can rest assured God's sitting on his throne. He's observing it all. He's in control of it all. Does that not convey to you and I right off the bat a sense of calm, sort of, right? And then the next part in chapter five is all about who? Jesus, the lamb who is worthy and he's worthy. What is it that, that he's about to do? Open all those seals. And as he does, so what is the conclusion of it? He comes back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he's going to reign on the earth. Oh, I know. I just can't wait. It's just like, I had a text this morning from, uh, Georgina, uh, who, who, whose mother is, Lily Dekladinsky, we all know her. And she was giving me an update and she sent me a little happy birthday thing this morning. And she's, and I, we were talking about just heaven and how we're so anxiously waiting for that day, right? We want so much for the Lord to just come, especially when we just spent these, this last week all looking at what we have to look forward to in heaven. It, it's, it's an exciting it's an exciting time to be studying all that we are looking at here. Okay. Um, so we've worship segments. I did do my worship segments. Finally. Um, I did not find anything profound though, when I marked them, except it was good to clarify them. Okay. So I saw worships in chapter four and five at the close of both of those worshiping of God who sits on his throne, the lamb who is worthy. Uh, then there's that very big one in 11, 15 to 18, right when that seventh trumpet sounds, you see that worship where they make all these very broad statements that cover pretty much the whole spectrum of our timeline, right? Um, and so their declarations of truth is what they are in that prayer time. Uh, they're believing God for what he is going to do, even though some of it has not even been accomplished, like the judging of the earth and the judging of the saints and so forth. Um, but it speak, and in there, the confusing part, if you don't understand worship segments, is he makes declarations that Jesus is ruling. He now he's going to reign. And you're like, what? We're only in the middle of the of the trumpets. How is he reigning now? Right. And so worship, you cannot put it on a timeline from the worship statements. You have to take those statements and go find a a, a succinct um, timelining passage where you can plug in what's said. You can plug in that he's now ruling and reigning. Where? Where do you find that he is actually ruling and reigning in Revelation? Chapter 20 in the thousand years, when he comes to the earth, he, he has the war of Armageddon. He judges the false prophet and the beast, and then he begins to reign, and he, and he allows who to reign with him? us, the, the believers, the tribulation saints and the bride who comes with him. So you don't see the fulfillment of it, even though in 11, 15 to 18, it makes a declarative statement that he's now going to be reigning. That can be confusing if you don't recognize that's a statement of worship. Okay. Then in 15, three and four, there it's a, it closes the parentheses segment, those three signs 
Remember it starts 12-1, goes to 15-4. The last two verses of 15, four, three and four closes that parentheses with a, with a, a praise and a worship statement. Uh, praises God for his righteous ways. And it declares that the nations are going to come and worship before Jesus. Okay, so they're, they're declarations again. Now the really cool one, and this one was from last week also. We looked at um, chapter 19, and there's an opening in its verses 1 through 9. Do you remember we saw two segments of worships? They were actually divided. There was first one statement and then a second statement, and they're both worship. What was being contrasted there? What are the two worships about? The first one is about who? The first worship, he praises God for what? Judging of the harlot. And then what's the next worship about? Uh, it, well, it should start in verse 6. Okay, yeah, open, open up your... Oh, the marriage of the lamb. So who are the two being contrasted in those worship statements the harlot and the bride the bride there are two women being contrasted there and this in this moment of worship it says after these things i heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying hallelujah salvation and glory and power belong to our god because his judgments are true and righteous for he judged he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth and then in verse six, again, and I heard something like the voice of a great multitude. So it's a second worship moment, and it's distinct from the first one, which spoke about the harlot. Now, this one, it says, hallelujah, in seven, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come. So he's now rejoicing over the, the bride, right? Us. So the contrast is, the harlot versus the church, right? Or, or the, the, the one that was corrupting the earth versus the ones who are redeemed, right? Isn't that great? Kay did ask you to pay attention to that last week, but we didn't get a chance to talk about it. So I wanted to bring it up this morning. Okay, so now we're ready to dig in. Let's one hour and 10 minutes, so we don't have a whole lot of time. But And we're not going to do every single detailed point because um, we don't really need to. But I do want to get some of the major points up here because this is just such a beautiful picture for us to look at. Um, let me find my, I have one sheet I want to pull out real quick, or two sheets. I did word studies on a lot of these, one section in 21 and 22. All right, now let's start with what is going to be there. You looked in chapter 21 and 22. He ushers us in. He says in, in 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, right? And he says, there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride, right, for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. Now let's talk about then what is going to happen in heaven. Timeline wise, 
this falls after the thousand year reign, right? It's also going to be after or simultaneous to the great white throne judgment. I don't know that we're going to be there for the great white throne judgment. We bypass that as they are being judged here and that earth is being burned up. We go into the new heaven and new earth. Okay. So at the end of this, that's where believers go. Because we don't need to appear before this judgment seat, correct? We have appeared before a judgment seat somewhere. Let's just for fun put it here. And this is uh, the Bema seat, right? You remember that? And what do we get at the Bema seat? Yep, we receive reward. And it's called the righteous acts of the saints. Okay, this, this reward, and it's called fine linen, right? Now, that is not the same fine linen that you receive at salvation, is it? No, because in order for you to be taken up into heaven for this moment, right? What must you have already done? You must already have here received the Holy Spirit, right? And be betrothed. Here is the Bema seat, and then following it is what? The wedding. Everybody following that? So the, I know that it was a little confusing for some people uh, uh, concerning the, uh, the fine linen and the white clothing. There is white clothing of righteousness. Uh, Romans 4 and 5 speak about that righteousness is through the righteousness of Christ. It's imputed to us at the moment of our faith. Uh, uh, Galatians uh, 3, 6, I think it is where it says, and Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So we receive our righteousness by faith and at the moment of our salvation. But this fine linen is received when we are caught up to this Bema seat to receive rewards. And basically the way that it's been taught to me in years past is this is like your wedding gown. You're already your clothed in your garments, your foundation garments through faith, but now you're going to receive a wedding gown. And that's why we come back, we're called the bride. Now the marriage has come. Before you're the betrothed, now you're the bride. Right? So you're going to have that wedding time. All right. Now, what does it tell us then when we go to be with the Lord here? He says, what is it that's going to be there? Did you all make some lists on the things that will be there, won't be there when you did your list making this week? Yes. I hope you did. If not, open your uh, observation worksheets and you can just read along and you should be able to just fill these things. What's going to happen when you get to heaven? What's going to be there? 
what will happen to us? What's going to be the result of, of us? Look in verse three. Yeah, tabernacling God with God. So in other words, we will live with God. Which is something that we have not had in, in a, a long time. When was the last time that God literally walked among us? In the Garden of Eden, before, the, before sin came into this world. And then God no longer came and walked in the garden with Adam and Eve any longer. Uh, in 22.4, it says in that time, what's going to happen? No crying. Yeah, no, no crying, no mourning, no death. So let's go to no crying, no mourning. I'm not sure if those are the same thing or not. Did anybody do a word study on that? What, what might be the distinction between crying and mourning? I, I don't know if they're... Mourning, I think, is probably the desire for something that's going on. You're missing. Yeah. You're missing. Yeah, very interesting. So we're talking about what time in, in our timeline here for this. What will happen there? What are we talking about there? The new heaven and the new earth. Everything we're going to be talking about here is talking about this time right here at the very end. The new heaven and the new earth. It's not talking about the thousand year reign. It's talking about this time here. Don't forget that because it's really important. There are going to, do you think there will be mourning and crying when we're in the thousand year reign? Oh yeah. What happens at the end of the thousand year reign? A great war, Gog and Magog, another Gog and Magog war. And men are going to die. And it says uh, they number how much? As the sands of the seashore. That's how many people at the end of that thousand year reign are going to come up against Jerusalem again. We, all, we always thought about Armageddon as being the last and final, but it isn't. There's another one at the end of the thousand years. Amazing. Okay, so no crime, no mourning, though, in the new heaven and the new earth. Um, no pain. What verse are you in? Four, okay. All right. And no pain. I can't wait for that one. No pain. And to be able to hear and see well again. Yeah. I, I can't even taste or smell because of all these sinus surgeries. I haven't been able to taste or smell anything for a couple of years. So it's really sad. I can't wait to. I know it. <laughs> that, that wedding meal is going to be like tasty. I'm going to be a fat bride real quick. No morning is going to make, I don't know, that may be something that people don't quite know what to do with. It needs a you in there. Oh, okay. Yeah, morning. I know. Sorry, I am a terrible speller for one thing, but also I, I saw it when I did it and I didn't correct it on the spot. I should have. Okay, so no pain, no, okay. Um, what else in verse four? Besides no pain, there's also what? No death. What else? All, yeah. And literally he says in five, the contrast to that, 
what is he going to do? He, God will make all things new. Now, we talked about that when we said about the, the earth. Why, what is the point for God? Why couldn't God just restore this and make it, you know, back to like the Garden of Eden? Well, he is going to do that to a degree, right? When he um, puts us on the land for that thousand years, there's going to be a lot of things that are going to be brought back. But the point is, he's saying to us here, he's going to make it all new. It's not, we're not going to have anything that touched corruption in this new heaven and new earth one day. It's going to be brand new. Don't you love it when you move into a brand new house or you get a brand new car, like a real new car, not a used new car, but a brand new new because it, every, it's like everything's working perfectly it smells good huh I said the same thing. It smells good. and it smells good and yeah although I can't smell it but yeah it smells good <laughs> okay so he's going to make all things new in 21 5 um what else is is going to happen there yeah yeah God uh, will give to us of the water of life. This is something we have heard about forever and ever. 22.17 uh, also speaks of this. Let's go over to 22.17. It says, And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say come and the let the one who is thirsty come let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost so it's a repeated message in 22:17 so it's, it's 21 6 and 22:17 makes a repeat on that that's good, what is going to be there what the water of life without cost does anybody research that to see what that's implying you did do you have do you have any recollection about what it was speaking of? Is it speaking about the water of life being eternity and eternal life, or is it literally speaking about water? That come, I mean, one of the pictures that we get about the new heaven and the new earth, if you did your drawing, is there's living water that comes out from the throne of God, right? But we are there, we are in our glorified bodies, which is what happens at this Bema seat, we get this wedding. When we get resurrected, we get our renewed body. You can put there 1 Corinthians 15, new bodies, right? That's when we get our resurrected bodies. Um, so not only are you going to get a beautiful wedding gown, you're going to look good in it because you're going to have a new body. I hope I'm much younger and thinner, <laughs> but I'm excited, a new body and, and beautiful linen. So giving us of the water of life, we should probably research that a little bit and see if we, if we can come up with some understanding on that. Uh, in 21, 24 to 27, then let's move on down to 24. Because in between, there's a lot of details we're going to cover later. But what else is going to happen for us in this new Jerusalem? Yeah, 
Okay, there's no, there is no temple. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to skip that for right now because I'm going to put that on the next segment over here. But there is no temple there. But why? So, yeah, we were, so we're going to be worshiping God. Um, what does it say about the nations? I, if I'm surprised y'all didn't catch that right away. Okay. Think on that for a minute. Yeah. The nations, though. That's exactly right, because what won't be there, right? Who will not be there in 2021-8? Who will not be there? The cowardly? The unbelieving? Somebody's phone is ringing. Oh, it's mine. Yeah, I, it is off, but I can hear it buzzing. Oh, shoot. That was my doctor. Darn. Well, I'll have to call him back. I need him. <laughs> He's going to give me my shots for my headaches. Okay. Um, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, not going to be there. Also, murderers. Did you catch that one? Murderers, uh, the immoral. Oh, what does that mean? Sorcerers. Oh, I like this one a lot. All liars. liars. There's nothing that I hate more than liars because they are so deceptive and you can't trust them because it's their habit to fall back on that, right? They, so you can't trust them. You don't even know what's true and what's not true. Tell me, did you do any word studies on these qualities that will not be in heaven? In 2215, it says dogs. Did you notice that one? No dogs. <laughs> no dogs. I know. Why, well, what does that mean though? What does it mean, no dogs? It's a metaphor, by the way. Outside are the dogs. Yeah, like Outside are the dogs. Like, like, no dogs. In the culture at the time, the dogs that they could scratch. They didn't get, they weren't like limited with bed and stuff. It was, oh, yeah. It's not like hitting I dogs. know. No, not, they're, they're not pets. As a matter of fact, in the Middle East, call someone a dog is one of the worst insults that you can give them. So when you talk about the dogs licking up the blood of someone or the dogs uh, following or chasing or whatever. In, in the Old Testament in particular, you're, you see a lot of these references. Just keep in mind that it's metaphorically, a, um, it's someone who's impure or immoral or by their nature, by their passion, instinct. Yes, yes, they're and they're cap. It said in the in the word study. This is interesting. The theological dictionary, of the New Testament, said they're capable of violence and filthy habits. <laughs> you dirty dog! Yeah, you used to. You know, I played mahjong once a week with a little group of people, and um, 
in Mahjong, uh, one of the, the phrases that you can use, you can call someone a toad. Apparently in China, that would be like calling someone a dog. You toad, you know. <laughs> We don't do that, but I always laugh about it because it's just phraseology in that particular game. And it's funny that it's like calling somebody a dirty dog, you dirty dog, you, you threw away what I needed. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, let me just read the word studies in the New Testament. So this is a term of reproach with which the Judaizers stigmatize the Gentiles as impure. In the Mosaic law, the word is used to denounce the moral uh, the immorality is basically of heathen worship. Um, the word is used of those whose moral impurity excludes them from the new Jerusalem. As a term of reproach, the word on the lips of a Jew signified chiefly impurity. Uh, so you could say uh, dogs, it's a metaphor for impurity. Right. Blood does defile. That's another, that's a good point. And think of that. Yep. Okay. So in, in, in 2211, what won't be there is they're called the what? The filthy. Again, it's kind of goes back to the same thing to be defiled with iniquity, uh, morally impure. I did a bunch of word studies on all these negatives because in the past, what I have done, we're going to go back and look in there, who will be there. We're going to look at what the city is going to be like. And the first couple of times I went through, I spent a lot of time looking at all those beautiful stones and all the things that will be there. And when I, you know, when I drew my picture, I got all the names of the apostles and whose names would be there and so forth. But this time I decided to focus on the negatives just because I hadn't done that before. So, um, so and sorcerers, who, what is a sorcerer? It's pretty obvious, magical things. People in, involved pertaining to magical arts, one who practices black magic, right? Sorcerers, which would be magic. Or, all right. Um, immoral, those who indulge in unlawful, sinful um, intercourse, or if they're fornicators, right? People who have relationship intimacy outside of marriage. Um, murderers, that's a given. We all know what a murderer is. And we know what idolatry is, right? Everybody good? Uh, those who practice lying. Now, this one I think is an interesting phrase. It doesn't just say that are liars. It says that they practice lying. Now, why would it? Huh? Yes. Yes. Um, for the cowardly and the unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons as sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. 21.8, what does it tell us? Theirs is the lake of fire. Why won't they be there? Theirs is the lake of fire. And that's in 21.8. Okay. So we know what won't be there. We know that so far we've looked at what's going to happen there for us. Uh, God is going to make all things new, right? What did I put that? Yeah, it makes all things new. I love that. He's going to give us to drink of the water of life. 
and I, we didn't fully develop this. It's, it talks about the nations. What does that tell you about the new heaven and the new earth? There are still going to be what? Nations. Isn't that interesting? I thought that was interesting because we kind of have looked at, you know, our world right now is what are we, we being drawn back to? One world globalism, where there is no distinction. We become, quote, a melting pot, which really never happens, right? Uh, and so what God is saying is the nations was God's plan. This is not a negative or a bad thing. And the idea of having open borders is not a godly thought. It's not a righteous pursuit. This is truly from the pits of hell. God gave us the nations for his designed purposes. Now, I don't totally understand. I can't begin to even explain why in heaven, why in the new heaven and the new earth, we would have nations, except maybe for distinction, variety, beauty, you know. And these nations will be outside of the new Jerusalem. Yes, living upon the earth. Yes, globally. Because we'll have a global, and just the new heaven and the new earth, as far as expanse and size, that was very interesting. I wonder if, did I keep my note? Oh my gosh. I had it in my thing, and I've, yeah, they're saying, I, I've lost it, though. I must have misplaced it. But I remember that when I was looking at this, the new heaven, uh, the new Jerusalem coming down to heaven, out of heaven, the one that we presently have had and have understanding of is a one square mile radius. The new one is going to be like, oh, gosh, it was like... 1500 miles square and high so from one mile square it's going to go to 1500 miles square and height that's the city jerusalem the new jerusalem which we will go to where god himself will dwell of course he dwells on the whole earth he walks among men we will all be there but that's just the new jerusalem so think of how big our earth is going to be Think of that. Go back, we're back to about Babylon and stuff. He wanted them to go out and make nations. He told them that they all came together. Right. I'm going to force you to go do That's that. right. That's exactly. He, he dispersed them by their language. And again, if you haven't done it yet, go back and read those Genesis passages that talks about Babel and the Tower of Babel. What led into that even? Just re begin reading in Genesis 1 and, and read those first through Noah, at least, and just see the progression of how humanity rejected God as their king. Where are we heading? For Jesus being king again, and God being king, and no longer the need for a tabernacle or, a, or the sun or the moon, because God is going to be dwelling amongst us. And this is, God is going to restore what he intended for man all along. And, uh, well, yeah. All right, so now we know what is going to happen there is, what are we going to be doing there? What will the bond servants be doing? Yeah, okay, give me the verse. Yeah, we're going to serve. 
will serve God and that and the Lamb. And that's in uh, 22.3, right? I think this one's interesting. Verse 5, what does it also tell us? We know that when we come back with, uh, with Jesus on these white horses, right? We're given crowns of authority, right? We're placed upon thrones to serve with him, correct? That's for us. Those are my little people, all right? So... But here it says in the new heaven and the new earth, what does it say? In 22, 3 through, it's in verse 5, 22, 5. Huh? Ah, and we are going to do what? Reign forever and ever. Now, I think that's very interesting. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a good question. Well, we do know that David will, will be one who reigns with Christ. He talked about it in particular in the thousand year reign. But apparently, according to 22.5, it says there's not going to be any uh, night. We'll have no need of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. Now this goes back goes back to um, go back to Daniel seven eighteen somebody and read that seven eighteen because there's a confirmation verse in Daniel seven eighteen if you're not sure what it's saying there this verse will help because it's really more declarative than even this one. Whoa, for all ages to come. So we will come, we will receive the kingdom here, right? In this thousand year reign. But then it says for all ages to come. So that includes up here also. So believers will go there for all ages. We are going to reign. I'd like to know more about that, wouldn't you? What does that really mean? That we're going to reign forever, even in the new heaven and the new earth? Who are we going to reign over? What are what, what exactly? We don't. Do you remember in um, the in the letters to the churches, one of them was God's going to give us new manna? And we discussed that the new manna was talking about a new word from God. Basically, we'll get a new scriptures from the Lord that's going to talk about the things he has in store for us through eternity. What the, what, I think it's going to be really interesting to see because um, I'm thinking, gosh, Lord, that means I might could be, still be a teacher. <laughs> I have a whole new scripture to have to learn, but I have for eternity to learn it. After a while, I suppose all your students will know everything you know, but um, I just think it's really intriguing, the idea that we're going to reign forever and ever, and there's going to be nations. Those two things are very interesting to me. Uh, the, the nations uh, will be there, and they are not the cowardly, the abominable, the immoral, filthy, because they're going into the lake of fire. So these are the nations that are going to be there, and these are righteous, right, nations. 
That's right. Only. Yeah, it got cold. So maybe. Or some facsimile of what we had before, but God is going to distinguish them for us. We do know for sure that when we go into the thousand year reign, God has the 12 tribes. They are distinguished by even by their tribes. And I would imagine that will go with them into eternity. So there'll be a distinction even among the 12 tribes. So why wouldn't there be nations of people? Can I pick which one I want to go? Who knows? I just think it's really interesting. Yeah. Okay, so we will reign forever and ever. And then this one says for all ages to come. That's in Daniel. I liked that Daniel 718. I don't know where I found that. I came across it in something I did. 22.5 says that we will reign forever and ever for all ages to come. Okay, so now uh, who will be there? Well, this one's pretty quick for us to answer. Who's going to be there? Believers. Right. Okay, give me your verse. <laughs> Starting in 21.7. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who reads and heeds the word of the prophecy of this book. Uh, oh, I'm in the wrong one. Sorry. I was in 22. There you go. The overcomers. So who is going to be there? The overcomers. Now that one then takes us back to chapters two and three, and we can look to see who those overcomers are, right? How they're identified. So this was 21.7. Who else do we know will be there? Pardon? Oh, the 24 elders and the, yeah, right. But it doesn't say that in 21 and 22. Right, right. We want to stick with our chapter 21 and 22 for right now. Yeah, it got cold in here all of a sudden. We're... Well, we did fill it. <laughs> that's, a, that's fine. Thank you. God and the Lamb. What verses did you get that from? Okay. Oh, the sun. Perfect. Okay. I'm just fine because <laughs> I'm moving. <laughs> okay. Who else will be there? What else is going to be there? Who and well, I mean, it's, it's a little more tricky. If you did not make a list on this, you might miss some of these. Um, how about 2127? Yeah, those whose names are written in that book of life. Now, can we explain the difference between the book of life, the Lamb's book of life, the book of deeds? Have you guys done any research and study on that yet? 
I would recommend that would be another thing. Make yourself a note and do some research on that. But in the end, it's pretty clear that there's really um, a couple of things that are going on when you're reading about those books of life and you go, especially when you go into some Old Testament scriptures, it, it also is alluding to the practice of the Hebrews in the uh, Old Testament, which was when a person was born, they were recorded in a book of life. And what God does is that demonstration of recording a name in the book of life and the idea of blotting it out, uh, then God uses that analogy and places it into the spiritual realm where God is saying, and if you don't, if you don't become an overcomer, if you have not come into faith, then you will be blotted out of that book. Because when you die, what happens to you? You go to the second death, the lake of fire. It's also referred to as the second death, right? So instead of having eternal life and being in a book of life. So one is a human book. Well, kind of, or it's just a book. Right, right. There's a book of life, in other words, that, you, that when you are, God has a record of every human being that will ever be born on planet Earth. It's been written since before the foundation of the world. Think on that. God knew your name before he even created this earth. And he wrote your name in a book, right? He also knew those of us who would come into faith. And he recorded us in what book? The Lamb's Book of Life. In the Lamb's Book of Life, can you be blotted out? No. Why? Because once saved, always saved. And once, the, once you're written by the blood, which is precious, right? It's costly. God is never going to erase you from that book. So the Lamb's book of life, if you're in that book, and sometimes in the scripture, it just calls it the book of life. But by the interpretation of what you're reading, context rules for your understanding, is it speaking of eternal life book in Christ Jesus, or is it just speaking of the book of life that you were born? If you can be blotted out of it, it is not the Lamb's book of life. That's really what you're going to come to see. So now that you kind of have that much in your head, go back and do some research on your own on those books. The other books that are referenced for us in there is what? Books of deeds. So what is that saying? And concerning the books of deeds, what do we know about deeds? Do deeds get us into heaven? No. So even though you may have a long, lengthy list of doing good on this earth in the eyes of man, what is the only deed that really matters? The deed of faith. Believing that what God has said is true. And once you're recorded with the red blood and your name is recorded, it's there forever. And it can never be blotted out, ever. No matter how bad you are, even if you kill somebody, you cannot be blotted out. How old are you? Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. Because I just might kill somebody between now and next week, right? We're not giving you free reign, Angie. So we're reining you in. <laughs> okay. All right. So who will be there? The overcomers, God and the Lamb, obviously, those whose names are written in the book of life. Uh, 21, uh, 27 was that verse? Oh, 22? Okay, thank you. 22, 27. There's no 27.
Don't mess me up. <laughs> I, I double checked on my, because I do that so often, I type in the wrong thing and I thought I had it right. Okay. All right. Um, let's see. What else do we talk? Let's move on to the city. I mean, who will be there? Basically, anyone who's saved. All the saved. God will be there. Well, we know there's a new heaven. I don't know. It doesn't tell us, does it? No, it really doesn't. There are a lot of speculations about angels, so be really careful because they are all speculations God has not told us. I think that's going to be more of the new manna, you know? So just keep in mind who they are, what they were designed for. Understand they also are called sons of God. They're created uh, as servants of God and servants to us who will inherit salvation. And doing their same jobs. I mean, if you're going to have a whole new earth with all of them, right. still And the spirit realm can move everywhere and we will have a new body and it's a physical body that can be seen and that moves about just like we do now basically so we are finite we remain finite we do not um teleport or whatever we're not vapor, we're not vapor right but the angels are spirit they have no dna which is why angels and human beings cannot cohabitate and produce children because they have no DNA and they can't have a physical relationship. So that's another doctrine, but we'll, we'll skip on. Yes, there will be. How do you get that many people on the earth as yeah. the sands of the seashore? Right. That's in the new heaven and the new earth. Right. Right. So here, there will be human beings, and they will be marrying and having little babies. Okay. That's how you get the thousand, the, 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 as the number of the sand on the seashore. Yeah. That's during the thousand year reign. But now when we go to the new heaven and the new earth, it says you're neither married nor given in marriage. You're like the angels. There's other verses, cross references for that. The people that will make war after the thousand years will have to come from those. Yes. 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 And we're going to see it. There's another verse that we haven't really talked about, but it's in Daniel. It says um, that God, God will deal with the beast. I think it's in Daniel 7. I might be wrong, but I think it was in 7. And once he deals with the beast, he's when he's destroyed, basically. This is, but an extension is lot of life is given to the others. So there are nations that are left upon the earth for that thousand-year reign that are going to be allowed to continue on. And but I do think that there we begin with a purged earth where either they're all believers or they're submissive, at least in the beginning. Right. They're stubborn like me. Or I mean right. And then obviously during the rain, there's no marks going on. No. Yeah. So does it like so you 
people will live, people will be born, people will die. Yes. And that's why that passage I read to you this morning, it says and, uh, that they will, if they, they, they're going to bear children, but not for calamity, because there won't be any war during that time, that thousand years until the very end. Um, uh, and that war is very brief and it's fire from heaven and they're consumed. Boom, done. And it happens right after God lets who out? Satan. So Satan is bound for a thousand years. Why is he bound? What does that do for us as far as accountability before God concerning our own choices? Yeah. You can't say the devil made me do it, right? The devil didn't make you do it. You did it on your own. And right and remember in the days of of course we are going to come back in glorified bodies so we are never going to die right those of us who come back with christ as his bride but we will be dwelling among others who are human yet and are living and they're eating of the tree of life right they're going to be um it says that oh no wait a minute that's the new heaven the new earth um uh, hmm. but it'll be like what i understand is it'll be like in the days of adam and eve people will live how long did adam and eve live 900 800 years right eight to 900 is methuselah was the oldest one 980 something right so and it says if they die under the age of 100 it'll be as if a youth so that just tells you that there is going to be death during the thousand year reign, but it'll be minimal and it'll be rare, which is, by the way, do you remember during the thousand year reign, what is going to be restored at Jerusalem? A temple. And there's going to be temple sacrifices, right? Why? You don't know? And also the last four chapters of Ezekiel. Go read Ezekiel. Right, so that they will know who, who it is they're saved and worshiping all that time. You're getting really close. It is going to be as an act of remembrance for what Jesus did do. But if you think about the fact that maybe you're living in an in a arena of people where they never die, you don't ever see death, Animals are no longer killed. People, they don't kill people. There's very little bloodshed going on. So we won't be, we'll understand the importance. So the people who are being, I'm talking about the 1,000 year reign at this point. It's, yes, they, there will be people who will die. It was Isaiah 65. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. And what we and what we just read is that those who die at the age of a hundred will be as if they are a youth. So there will be death in the thousand-year reign, and at the end of the thousand, there's one more war where, as the number of the seashore, they will all be killed like that by fire falling from heaven. But that's right. We're. It's going to be, it's going to be brought back. To, we're going to see other verses, but it's going to be restored as to the garden of Eden again. It talks about the Dead Sea right now, which is salt water. Nothing lives in it. It's going to be fresh water. It's going to be a fisherman's paradise, they say. That's how 
that's how vibrant and filled with life that that water is going to be. There you go. It's a point. It's to give them a demonstration of the sacrifice that was made for them and what it really means. Yes. Yes. And the flesh. Right. And most of the world in the beginning is going to be very nice because most of the evil will have been purged. And certainly any of those dominant nation and kings like the false prophet and the uh, beast, the Antichrist, they'll be gone. Right. Those major rulers, it says commanders and authorities. And remember all those that that long list in chapter 19 that are going to be judged, it says in 19 at the end. Right. Yeah, there you go. CNN will be out of here. There'll be no more fake news. Yeah, yeah. This is really fun to talk about, isn't it? It's really how much time have we got left? We're we're good. No, no, not necessarily. I mean, one of the ones that I know for sure is where in Daniel, he says and an extension of life is granted to the others that God doesn't kill. So I have to find that verse. I think it's in Daniel seven. And those are not necessarily believers. I do believe that the majority of believers are taken care of. And certainly the ones who are the ringleaders, the ones who are forging against God and coming against God and God's people, they're going to be dealt with at Armageddon, right? But there's going to be other people on the earth. They're not, not the whole earth is coming for Armageddon, just the kings of the, of that East. It says on, they come down from the, uh, through where the, um, um, the Euphrates river flows. It's going to dry up. Yeah, I'm going to tip it so they can see this last one. Okay, so yeah, and listen, if you're still confused on things, what is going to help you to finite your list and understanding? Make a list. What will be in the 1,000 year reign and what will be in the new heaven and the new earth? What we are listing here is the new heaven and the new earth. No more mourning, no more crying, no more death, no more sorrow. Uh, God is going to be there. We're going to dwell with him. But now here, Christ is going to dwell with us, but God's not dwelling with us here. God begins to dwell with us here. So here we're going to have God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We will be dwelling with them, literally, on the new earth. Here, it's going to be Jesus it, while, during, while we're in this thousand-year reign. Yes. And, yes. And God cannot dwell with us on our earth because of corruption. Yes. And what we learned was that that even during this time here, there's going to be believers. We're going to have all those trib saints, right? And then some of those those all those trib saints will also rule with us, you know, during that thousand year reign. So what will help you? Uh, Carol is make a list 
go back in and distinguish in your mind the distinction between the 1000 year reign and the new heaven and the new earth. Everything that we did this week in our homework is basically the new heaven and the new earth. Now go back and look again at the thousand year reign and just some of the things that are said to us in chapter 19 and 20 tell us there's going to be corruption on the earth. There are going to be unbelievers there. At the end of that thousand years, it's going to be another war and God's going to consume them. And they're going to be, the number of them is as the sand on the seashore. That's a lot of people who are going to become corrupt by the end of that thousand years. Okay. And people will be born, people will die, but, but it'd be minimal because it's going to be like the garden. Before I forget, will somebody take a picture of that? Yes. And give me. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, because we come back with Jesus right here. We're the bride, the army. We come back with Jesus for the last, for the seventh uh, bowl. And then we go into reigning with him for a thousand years. And that begins the kingdom of God, which never ends ever, even though our location will change. Once we're done with this thousand years, this earth will be destroyed, but then we get our new heaven and new earth. So we're on the, we're on in the thousand year reign, which is our new, new bodies glorified. That's what I was saying a minute ago. Are going to be flesh. Yes, we will. Which. Yes. Yes. That doesn't mean he never leaves, but yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. That's why I've been saying read Ezekiel chapter 40 to 44. That describes for you the, the, uh, the millennial temple. And it's different than all the other temples previous because there's going to be new uh, imagery, representation, all the things that represented Jesus Christ will not, will not be there other than the sacrifice which will be a demonstration so that people understand death and bloodshed because otherwise they won't fully understand or comprehend it because it's going to be so rare. Right. But all the, a lot of the other imagery, like I think the candlesticks and the whatever, those are going to be gone. Um, I don't remember now all the details, but. Hmm? Yes, exactly. No temple in the new heaven. That's right. So that millennial temple, let me write it down for you, talking Ezekiel. I think it's 40 to 44. If I'm wrong on that, you'll catch it right away. It's the last three or four chapters. Am I correct? Okay. So it, those will give you the, that millennial temple. You can read it. You can see what's going to happen. What, what are they going to be doing? The practices of, at the temple during the thousand year. It's a whole nother study. And we did Ezekiel not that long ago. You were with us, weren't were, Yeah. Okay. So you, you've already kind of had, remember it talks about the man in linen and he takes a measuring line and he measures out for, and he starts describing all the things that are going to go into that temple. No, it wasn't. You're right. You're right. It was several years ago. Yes. I saw when you were talking quite a while ago about a 
way of getting to heaven mm -hmm. without all this just by being in the Book of Christ. Yes. Well, if I get, let's say I got in there mm -hmm. and then I murdered. No problem. So now, God will hold you accountable and you you obviously lose rewards. There's, you know, and God can certainly judge you. You can go to prison. You could even lose your physical life over it. They could take you and put you in an electric chair at, at the prison for doing that, right? Because judicial system of man will judge you, right? Well, so I died, okay, but not, but to, not to Christ, right? And I think David is a good example. Yes, David sent Uriah out to die and committed adultery with Bathsheba. Now, interesting thing about that one is God took his son that was conceived in that marriage. So, yeah, there's consequences, but you can, if in fact your name is in the book of life, first of all, I really don't think a person who's already saved will want to kill somebody purposefully, right? We, we have more restraint than that because of the Holy Spirit in us. But if you did, it does not remove you from the book of life. Right, but now these are, let's put it this way. Right, that was one of the things I was going to mention to you earlier about the idea of, of um, habitualness of these things. One of these things says in 2127, go there, um, it says nothing unclean, no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So if your name is in the Lamb's book of life, you will be in heaven. But 1 Corinthians 3 says that when your life is tested at the Bema seat, right, and you go through the fire, your life goes through the fire, those evil things you did while in your flesh, they burn up. They're gone. But you know why that is? Because God does not remember your sins anymore. He remove. He He destroys them. Isn't that amazing? That's full forgiveness. That if that does not excite a person to know. I mean, because there are things in every one of our lives, I'm sure, that we feel really bad about and that we did that we wish we could undo and we can't. Right? God says it, it's not there. I, it will be burned up for sure. But even before that, God says he remembers it no more. So your name, if it's in the Lamb's book of life, you have assurance of salvation. But you don't know what there may be as, as to punishment. That's right. There can be consequence. And for sure in eternity, it will be burned up. It'll be, it'll be gone and it will be remembered no more. You may lose some reward, but you won't lose your salvation. That's the important part. Okay, so all of these are in reference to people who are unbelievers. They are not in the Lamb's Book of Life. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay, now, and where is that one going to go? Who will not be there? Okay. Oh, yeah. Those who. 
add to or take away from the words of this prophecy. Wow. And that's in 21, did you say? Verse? Okay. All right. So that's important. Those who add to or take away from the words of this prophecy that we are speaking of, if you add to or take away, then, then it means you're not in the Lamb's Book of Life because you're disregarding God's word and you will not go into heaven. Same thing. <laughs> the end result is the same. Yeah. Okay. We are, we have got five minutes to talk about what the city will be like, because it's going to be beautiful. And I didn't do a lot on this, so I don't have a lot to add extra, but you tell me what you know about the new heaven and the new earth. What will the city be like that's described there? I think it's very interesting when it's, when you enter into that in chapter 22, he says, um, these words are faithful and true in verse six, the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets sent his angel to show his bondservant the things which must soon take place. Um, that's not the one I was, that's not the one I was looking for. For like verse 17, when it talks about the measures that it's measured by 72 yards or whatever the Greek according to human measures which are also angelic measurements like for some reason yes important. well isn't that interesting i hadn't thought of that one i don't know why it's there but it's i don't know which is also angelic measurements I think it probably has to do with clarifying because when we go through this and we read dimensions that are given to us, that when the angel is speaking it, we can know that he's speaking from our perspective of understanding. Yeah, right. Or maybe it means something else, but he's saying, no, I, they're using language that you will understand. So the angelic measurements he's giving you are those which you would comprehend. Okay. Okay. The verse I was looking for is in 21 seven and he who overcomes will inherit these things. Right. And who's going to inherit them? The bride is, and he carried us, uh, us away in the spirit to a great mountain. He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. So he says, I'm going to show you the bride, but then what does he show? The city of the bride. He shows us where we're going to live and what it's going to look like and what it's going to be like. And then he, then he closes starting in 24 saying, and the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it in the daytime for there will be no night. Their escapes will never be closed. They will bring the glory and the honor of the nations. You see how it's repeating that? There are going to be nations in this new heaven and new earth. Nothing unclean, no one who practices abomination. That's the word. I keep trying to get back to that. Practices. It's really important for you to understand what it means. It's talking about a habitual and an intentional uh, execution of these things. It's not something like, oops, I said that naughty word, right? Sometimes people stub their toe and something comes out of the mouth that shouldn't, right? It's not like that kind of an issue. It's where a person deliberately 
uh, has the intent of their heart and it's by habitual practice that they do this. Uh, Second John, or no, first John chapter two talks about that. The, it says that the one who knows God does not sin. Well, when you go into the original language, it means habitually sins. They don't, by practice and by intent of their heart, continually do that, even in defiance to knowing what God says is right or wrong. It's like this statement. If you are intent on changing this, with these words of God up so that who will not be there is not what's said or who will be there or what's going to happen there is not the truth. God says we're to believe his word and, and that we're to convey what he has told us as truth. That's why in precept so often we say, what does it say? And give me the street address because we want to be as accurate as we can, right? You don't want to change it up or or distort it and it can be so easily distorted this is where confusions come in on people's doctrines on these different things okay what will this oh okay it is how high well yes because it's a cube yeah okay it's the same this part here is roughly the size of australia yeah, it's huge. It, I know it's 1,500 miles square for this city that we're talking about right here. About, that's, that's a guesstimation. Miles, and it's a cube. It's shaped like a cube, right? 15,000, 15,000 or 1,500, 1,500 square. I thought it was 1,000, 15. 15 it, am I, have I done that wrong? 1,500 miles. Oh, I see. 1,500. That's easier for me to comprehend. I'm really bad with numbers. I mean, I, I can mess up a checkbook in a nanosecond. My husband does not let me do the checkbook. Okay. Okay. What is it going to be like? Well, first of all, first and foremost, God prepared it. What does that tell you? Perfection. Yeah, it's going to be perfect. He prepared it specifically for us in 21 2 right what else do you know lots of precious stones does anybody know anything about those precious stones yeah they're beautiful one of the things that was interesting to me was when i when i studied this it talks about the gates that go all around it right there are 12 gates and each gate is a single pearl think about the gate you're talking 1500 miles square that's a big city and each city in each gate is a single pearl those are mighty big clams well i don't know but it, it probably rolls they, they're never shut so it's rolled over and on the gates is written what the names of the 12 tribes Yes, isn't that beautiful? A lot of green in the new heaven and the new earth. A lot of green things. Emeralds and jaspers. It looks like it's life, right? Green is like growing and living things. Precious stones, uh, emeralds, pearls, gold, 
right? I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And if you wanted to, you could take time and look all these things up. I did. I have amethyst, J-A-C-I-N-T, jacinth, jacinth, crystal, crystophase, topaz, beryl, crystallite, sardius, sardonyx, emerald, sapphire. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, the names on there, one of the things that um, people argue about are, are those 12 apostles, who's the 12th. What did we determine when we did Acts? Who, who is the 12th? Is it? No. Who is it? Who is it? Yeah, Paul, Paul, Paul. That's what you keep hearing. But what did God say in his word? Matthias, right? Remember when they cast lots in the opening of the book of Acts? Um, we have Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, Judas, uh, the son of James, and Matthias. Matthias was the 12th. It's a really great um, study just to look at those 12 and to ensure yourself. Why do we know it's not Paul? Well, because the one who had to be chosen, first of all, he was chosen before. To, at the very beginning of the church, right? They were the foundation stone upon which the church would be built. When does Paul come into faith? Later on the road to Damascus, he starts out by persecuting the church. So he comes along after the church is already established and moving. He says, but abnormally born, meaning he had saw through an appearance uh, in, you know, when he saw Jesus appear to him. And that's what he's speaking of. He's not saying he is an apostle, although he's an apostle in that he saw the risen Lord. And that was one of the qualifiers for the apostles is they would have seen the risen Christ. There's a bug in here. It loves me. Um, okay. Oh, you're right. 1,500 miles square. I've got it right here on this paper. I Also high. So it's a cube. Yeah. Oh, it's huge. It's humongous. They were talking. There you go. 72 yards thick. The walls. Yeah, walls. 72 yards thick. And you can see through it. It's one of the things I remember when I was teaching it to my uh, children in class is the way it was described in the commentary I read way way back was it's like a bubble like when you're blowing bubbles so I took a thingy of bubbles to class with me and blew bubbles for them and I said just like you can see through that bubble that's how the walls are going to be in heaven and they're 72 uh, yards thick that's huge that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, there you go that's a that's really thick and yet you can see through them so what is the, the pure gold like clear glass yeah pure gold gold like pure glass well some people say that means it's like you can um see through it because glass you see through but i think it's more like the purity of it it's the emphasis is on that it's pure so i think it's pure gold and it has no anomalies in it at all, no other alloys. It's pure gold. Now, if you've ever seen pure gold, it's, it's a yellow. It's a very deep yellow. Like in Turkey, they have 18 karat gold, gold. 
and it's a much, much darker. And they also use copper as their alloy and it's softer. Yeah. But this has no purities in it because it's pure, like glass is pure and there's no impurities in it. It is pure. I think that I think that's what the emphasis is. Um, gates are each uh, single pearls on each gate. Precious stones walls, each gate uh, has names. Why of 12 tribes, a foundation stone has names of apostles. Right? And all this is listed right there as you go through it. There's there's going to, what will the city be like? Well, for one thing, what who will be there? Well, who will not be there? I'll put it over here. No temple. Uh, uh, no sun or moon. And no night. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. It doesn't say that, but but it's very interesting that um, that it says that. But I don't know. Okay, so if this is for the city of Jerusalem, and there's other nations in the around, nations, and the nations bring their glory and and worship God. Will there be no sun or moon or night for the whole world? I don't know. That's a good question. It does say there's new heavens and a new earth. And so the heavens generally contain the stars and the sun and the moon. I don't know. Maybe if you're in the city and got there, you don't need the sun and the moon. All moon by glory and brightness. Yeah. And we know that when we eventually get there, the only ones there are in glorified bodies and we're in a, a slightly different state. So I don't know. I do know the temperature is supposed to be perfect. <laughs> perfect weather. We don't ever have to adjust the thermostat. God started the creation. He made all that for man anyway. So yes. It makes sense that he's going to put it back the way he wanted it. Right. The original purpose of all that. I have, nature. yes. Yeah. I have always kind of considered that just like right now we have the tabernacle and it's the it's it's the representation of the of the purest one which is in the heavens right this earth is also a representation of what we will have in the future but it'll be in its perfection so what that means totally we don't know but what god does give us is enough this is interesting so where where are we as far as uh the literary flow of things in 21 and 22. We've hit in 2110, another one. He carried me away in the spirit, right? So we were in 20, we, we're, no. We were in details back in chapter 17, right? We're now in big picture. So what does that mean? We're just getting a glimpse. Even though there's a lot of details about the city, it doesn't really tell us that much about what we're going to be doing, right? What our daily life is going to be like. Are there trees? Is there grass? Are there birds in the air? Do the flowers grow? I mean, I hope all those things are true, but it really doesn't give us any of that. It talks about the precious. Why do you think it lists all these things? Okay. Yeah. 
I agree with you. Oh, thank you. Yay. I hope so. Or Billy Graham, maybe he'll get it. But anyway, yes, I, I do think you're right. We think that God said he promised us new manna. It's one of the gifts to the overcomers. I believe we get those gifts as we enter into the new heaven and the new earth. And I think part of that new manna will be a new word, which is going to be very interesting because as we preach to the belief, the, the unsaved people that are going to be on the earth during that thousand years, we will preach to them about the glory that's to come. We will, we will know all this in much greater detail. So pretty much only know peace. Yeah. 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 Well, we didn't get all our questions answered, but we did get you guys. Thank you so much for just coming and being faithful and doing your homework and being interested. And, you know, oh, my gosh, look at that. Beautiful. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Oh, that's so sweet. Yay. Yay for me. I love that. Thank you so much. Here, I'll take this off your hands. Oh, the bottom is yeah. attached. Okay. Wonderful. Oh, thank you. And a, ca a card. Do you want me to open my card now? See what my birthday card says? Best and thankful. Oh, no, you guys didn't do that. You shouldn't do that. Oh, that's very sweet. I'm loaded. Oh, that was very sweet. Thank you. Oh, well, no, I would have done it for no money whatsoever. Blessed and very thankful, enjoying a quiet moment during this beautiful season to reflect on the Lord's many blessings, especially his kind and thoughtful provision of wonderful people like you who've enriched our lives in so many ways. And there's deers on there. My husband will like that. Just want you to know we're uh, you're warmly remembered and lovingly thought of with special thanks to God. Oh, that is just beautiful. I can't wait to read because this is probably my favorite gift are the words. I, I am, my love language is, is the words of kindness. Yeah. Huh? And there's more on the back. Oh, thank you for sharing. Oh, and Stephanie, you wrote me a note. Thank you. Oh, Okay, I can't, I, I don't want to cry right now. So I'm going to, I'm not a crier, you know, I don't like to cry. It runs my makeup. <laughs> Thank you guys. So you guys have got six weeks off. It's a long, long break. Please go back and make lists on things you're still confused about. Do more word studies and research. You can, I mean, I did a ton of word studies just out of Revelation 21 and 22 on all those evil people who won't be in heaven. Well, I know that's true. I'm sorry, but I can't help but encourage you to you know, do as much as you can. 